Now, um, if you're, I'm, most of you have this this morning, and uh, it's the front of it says, "Love, grow, share, love God, grow disciples, share Christ." And then there's one word, together. Now, if you've uh, ever received our little bag of goodies that you get when you're new to the church, you'll also have this, which is, says our vision. You'll see it up there on the screen. And on the front of that, it says our vision, love God, grow disciples, share Christ together. And so I am going to do a, a sermon or a message on that pamphlet, on our vision pamphlet, so that you really hopefully will understand what the vision of our church is all about. Now, many years ago, Val and I were in London, England, and attended John Stott's 80th birthday celebration at Martin Lloyd-Jones's historic church. Now, for some of you who don't know, don't know who all that is, John Stott died at 90 years old, 10 years later. The circumstances of how he got to, to be at the birthday party are very unusual, and I've talked about it before. But he preached a sermon on Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 44, or to 47, which I have shamelessly and publicly plagiarized several times. And you also should know that Martin Lloyd-Jones' church, just being there, and I literally stood in the pulpit, he, in my estimation, is one of the best preachers of the 20th century. He was a medical doctor, a surgeon, who became an incredible expositor of Scripture. And you can buy any book with his name on it that will be his sermons, and you'll be very glad you did. If you, if you have a problem with depression, by the way, uh, his book on depression, his sermons on depression, have helped me more than any other that I've ever read. And so uh, that was a, an amazing time in our life. You'll also notice uh, in the vision statement, if you, in this uh, vision pamphlet, uh, that uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47 begins our, our vision and clearly is the inspiration for our belief of what a church should be about. The pastors and elders of Calvary Chapel of Sarasota felt it was time to review at the beginning of another year our vision for the church. Now, I preached such a sermon when we first introduced our vision pamphlet so that uh, there will be nothing considerably new said this morning. I may add additional comments and emphasize certain aspects, hopefully with greater clarity, but the vision statement has not changed. It has four parts. Love God, grow disciples, share Christ, and then it just simply says, together. So to start, loving God or knowing God should always have a response of worship. At all of our services, the Bible is taught. Now, I don't just teach from the Bible, but I teach what the Bible actually says. My desire is that if you attend a service here, 
two times or one time a week for a year or two, you'll receive a good education and really understand what the Bible's all about and what it says and what it means and how you should respond to both what it says and what it means. In a book written 20 years ago that I'm presently reading again by Chuck Swindoll, I found this quote. There is something fundamentally flawed about a purely academic interest in God. God is not an appropriate object for cool, critical, detached, scientific observation and evaluation. No, the true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. Our place is on our faces before Him in adoration. Now, what's amazing about that is I found this quote while reading Swindoll's book. The book is How to Know the Will of God. Only two hours before I started preparing for this morning message. It's a quote from John Stott's commentary on Romans. And I really think God is saying that he wants us to meditate on his statement uh, for a time. Oh, by the way, just in case you're not familiar with John Stott, he was an Anglican uh, minister in a church in London. I've been to his church twice and really enjoyed it. Uh, a long time ago, he was very, very conservative and had a huge impact on uh, conservatism in the Anglican uh, communion. And uh, he wrote a, a book that really impacted me, uh, and the, the book was called Why I Am a Christian. Now, the reason that that book impacted me is that I was, when I was an atheist, I was reading a book uh, called Why I Am Not a Christian. He wrote a book, Why I'm, I think I mispronounced it, did I? <laughs> Why I Am a Christian. He wrote a book, Bertram Russell did, Why I'm Not a Christian, which I practically memorized. And then some time later, I read Stott's book, Why I Am a Christian, and it just confirmed everything that I understood now about the gospel, so I recommend it strongly. When I do baby dedications, I always quote from the book of Deuteronomy while talking about how to influence our children toward a saving relationship with Jesus the Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 reads this way. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And by the way, the, the grammar here is all plural. This is talking about God's people, O Israel, in this case. Now, I find it interesting how Jesus used these words when asked by a teacher of the law, which one of the commandments is most important. We find it in Mark chapter uh, 12, where Jesus replies to a, uh, a, a leader a, 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 who, uh, who is uh, trying to ask him questions. And of course, the Jewish religious leaders always had an agenda, so they, there was always something behind the question, which was trying to find some way to cause Jesus to make a mistake and be exposed. And so they said, uh, you know, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus replied this way, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God. Notice the personal relationship here. Uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then I just imagine that he smiled and took a big breath, looked right at that man who would ask the question and said, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, Jesus had much more to say, but we're talking about our individual need to love God, and we are hopeful the teaching of the Bible points us in that direction constantly. So we learn to love God as we pray and experience the monthly communion services together, as we learn to remember the cost of our free salvation, which is the cross Jesus died on so we can live a life now and forever that we could not have lived before. So second point, grow disciples. That's our vision, grow disciples. So I want to, to read with, with a little comment, the premier scripture, in my opinion, of course, on how to grow disciples. That's why I've asked you to have your Bible ready. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Now, it's also on the screen, and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. So follow along in your Bibles or watch on the screen, and I'll have a few things to say about it. This, this is from the, from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. And here's how he lists them. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is uh, that these are, are not just gifts. They are gifts, but the people are the gifts in this case. These are offices in the church. And so we have the apostles. The, the, they hadn't written all the New Testament yet. That's what was happening here. And they were being inspired by God. And the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. And the prophets were the same. We didn't have our New Testament, and so they were interpreting under the direction of the Spirit of God. They were interpreting the Old Testament and writing the New Testament. That's why it's important we never separate ourselves from the Old Testament because we need both of them. And then the evangelists. I find this very interesting because uh, the evangelist is also an office, a teacher of evangelism. Now, I'm not th when I read the evangelist here, I'm not thinking of Billy Graham, although he was incredible as an evangelist, no question about that. But I'm thinking more of the responsibility of the church to teach evangelism. And we have a, an evangelist here among us, uh, Daniel. He's over here, and Daniel has a ministry uh, that, he, uh, that he often uh, enacts, and you can see it on the screen when we come up on our announcement time, called Rescue Evangelism. And he, he's a great ev personal evangelist, but he's also a great teacher of evangelism. And so, therefore, you should take advantage of that every time you see the opportunity uh, for that class and the pastors and teachers. I like to put them together, the pastor-teachers. Pastors should be able to teach. Uh, they should be elders and able to teach. 
And one of the reasons that we're doing this this morning is that in this next year and on, I'm going to be taking more time to try to help younger men especially to learn how to uh, teach and, and preach and all of that type of thing. We have some really gifted younger men. Now, of course, I can say that because... Uh, pretty well everybody here is a younger man compared to me. And so uh, we have some really gifted younger men who you'll get to hear from more often in the coming year as we help them to really use their gifts. Now, these offices, goes, it goes on to say, their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's all of you, to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is the Bible name for church, and we are the church. I talk about that all the time. And so the purpose of those offices, my purpose this morning is to build you up by teaching the Word of God uh, so we can become mature, and that becomes very important. This will continue, Paul says, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Maturity is so important. We must be maturing all through our Christian lives. That must never, never stop. But some of you have been Christians for lesser times than others and need to be matured, and we all need to be matured together in the word, world. And then we will no longer be immature like children, it says. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Now, the number one place I'm finding this these days is on YouTube. Now, I watch it all the time. There's some great preaching on YouTube. But please, when you watch these YouTube preachers, be careful of the ones who say things like, what I'm going to teach you is brand new, and people don't know this. That's not true. Uh, or they'll make statements about the church. The church today. Listen to the pastors and teachers, and there's so many of them, who are mature, who have had long-term ministries. Uh, if you're going to check out a younger preacher that might just be terrific, check him out really well and listen very carefully. And so as you come here, you'll be equipped to be able to spot any who are not legitimate. So it reads from there, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So who's the head of the church? Jesus is. He's the head of the church. And many of you have heard me say this before. Sometimes people come up to me and they'll say, I really like your church. I'll say, it's not my church. And that person will think, well, he's going to tell me Jesus is. No, it's, it's Pastor Jim's church. If it wasn't for Pastor Jim, there wouldn't be any church. But you see, God placed him in this body to do something that I couldn't do. I can't organize myself. I barely make it to church. So he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. We're all important. As each part does its own special work, or let me just change the, the verbiage, as each one of us does the work that God has given us to do, and it's all special, 
it helps the other parts of us grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Full of love. But I must mention that we do have a one-on-one discipleship program that is well-designed to accelerate our growth and maturity and our need for one another. That ministry is headed by Mark Kirby. It's uh, one of the, you can see it on the screen there, the one-on-one program. You can find out all about it on our community. And make sure you're part of a community. You get the app for your phone, uh, put it on your iPad, uh, put it on your home computer, and make sure you're part of the community, especially so you can get all the prayer requests that come in and understand what's going on uh, among us. That's very, very important. And nothing helps Christians grow in their faith faster and stronger than when you disciple someone by building your life and the life of Jesus into another life. Then your growth will accelerate. Now, point three, we're to share Christ. Now, this was Jesus' command to all of us when he rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. It's not optional. But how we accomplish this is multifunctional. Or in simpler language, there are Many ways to obey Jesus' command. First, we need to know what it is. So it's recorded in Matthew 28. Almost all of you have practically memorized it by now. And it reads this way. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let's stop there for a minute to add some grammar to this. The word go is, is an important word here. It's a, it's a continuing thing. Like, here's how I would read it if I were going to just paraphrase all this. Jesus came and told all of us, his disciples, that he's been given authority in heaven and earth. He's the Lord. Therefore, as we are going about our lives, as we are going to work, as we're going to play, as we're going any place, just to shop for our groceries, wherever we go, we're to be in the business of making disciples of all nations. Now, that simply means that everybody who's around us needs the gospel. Doesn't matter what religious background they had. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is, uh, male or female, uh, are one in Christ. Uh, everybody of any age needs the gospel. So as we're going, we need to have that in our minds. And those who become Christians because of our example or because of uh, presenting the gospel, then they're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a public uh, appeal for your faith. When we have a baptism here, some, some of those being baptized give a, uh, an appeal uh, to faith and talk about how they became Christians. And, uh, but the baptism is just another step in the right direction. Now, then it says... That we're to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So everything Jesus said. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That just makes me feel good to read it. 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age, to the end of the age that we're living in. And uh, maybe the rapture is going to happen in the next year or the next 10 years. or We don't know. That's, uh, that's not for us to be too all that concerned about. Uh, and, uh, but as long as this church age is going on, he's going to be with us, and then we're going to be with him. Boy, that's a great picture. Now, what this doesn't say, now be careful here, is that we all must be individually trying to lead everyone we meet to a saving relationship in Jesus. <laughs> now, I know for some of you, especially Daniel over here, he's already confronted me on it this morning. <laughs> I know for some of you this sounds like heresy, but follow me here. This is said and written to the church body, this great commission, to all of us together as a body. We as a body of followers of Jesus are to be doing all we can to lead others to a saving faith in Jesus. And for some of us, this does mean we will try to lead everyone we meet to Jesus. Some people just can't talk to some. The, the man that indirectly led me to Jesus it would be impossible for Don to have a conversation where he didn't talk about salvation. It's just normal for him. And so for some of us, everyone we meet will tell about Jesus. But for others, it means we'll be living in such a way that others will ask us for a reason for the hope that is within us. When I became a Christian, my life changed dramatically, especially at work. Everyone there wanted to know what had happened to me. This became an invitation for me to tell them about how, how I became a Christian and why. And the result was that some in the office also became Christians, but others just became angry. <laughs> now, I've already mentioned Daniel Hilt. He offers that course that teaches us how to evangelize, how to answer the questions that others ask who are not believers. And I strongly recommend that you take advantage of the course when it is offered. But you see how that is part of what we are all doing as a church to reach others for Jesus. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said two particular things that I want to talk about. He said, you're the salt of the earth. And he also said, you're the light of the world. Now, salt makes food taste better and uh, puts taste into it, actually. And then uh, light chases away darkness. As long as there's light, there's no darkness. Darkness doesn't chase away light. Light chases away darkness. So Jesus says this. He said about all of us individually, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you, can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. That's a pretty strong statement. And then he says, you're the light of, a world, of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. In that culture, you're going along at nighttime, and there's a city on a hill, there's all kinds of lights on, and there it is. So like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp, this is just obvious, and then puts it under a basket... Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your 
good deeds, your light, your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's what we're to be like. Our changed lives should cause many to ask us about the hope that is within us. The Apostle Peter said so in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. By the way, Jesus is Lord. I, I hear people say, and I can, understand, I can see it sometimes, that they take that him as Lord as a second step. Well, it's, be careful how you say that. Because he is Lord. He, he doesn't become Lord when I decide he's going to be Lord later. And somebody, somebody here is thinking, yeah, but maybe you didn't know and you need to make him Lord. I agree, but he is Lord. And when we realize that, it should have the biggest change of our life. Not just the salvation, but the fact that he's in control. And then, then if someone asked about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. Plus, I must add that when Jesus said all nations, it was more than a suggestion that we go far and wide with the message. In fact, that is exactly what Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead. Jesus was talking about his return and told the disciples they should be about the business of sharing the gospel because they were not to know when Jesus would return. I mean, that's the first thing they wanted to know. When's Jesus coming back? You know, all the signs are pointing to it right now. You can say that at any time since Jesus rose from the dead until the return comes. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus replies to all that, and here's what he says. You can just, I can just hear the disciples. When are you coming back? When are you coming back? The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. That's pretty straightforward. Another way of saying it, it's none of your business. <laughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When does that happen? That happens when you're saved. As soon as you become a Christian, as soon as you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your life at that time. And so, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And then he, they're in Jerusalem. So start in Jerusalem, like Sarasota, Bradenton, Venice, right where you are right now. And then throughout Judea, Florida, Florida, and then Samaria, that's North and South Carolina and Georgia, they need the gospel too. And then to the ends of the earth, meaning everywhere else in the world. Our church here has missions worldwide, and there are many opportunities to travel in organized groups to encourage our many missionaries. And I recommend you do so often. It will change your life, completely change your life. If you've been here when I've said it, it's, it makes some people nervous. I'll say some churches preach that you just have to receive Jesus to be saved, but I don't believe that's true. There's something else you have to do. And I've, I've literally said that, and I've been watching, and I see some people looking at one another, and oh, what else do you have to do? You have to have a passport. 
I mean, we need to be willing to go anywhere, and we need to prepare ourselves in case we have that opportunity. Well, the final point is the word together, together. In our vision pamphlet, it reads this way. It is our desire to do all that we do together, to love God together, to grow disciples. Oh, good. And to share Christ together. Now, in some ways, if you've been here for a long time, you know it's almost my, it's my thing, this togetherness. The body of Christ, the church, is to be a recognized community. Jesus himself said that the world could judge the authenticity of the gospel by our love for one another. He said that in John chapter 17, a prayer that he prayed uh, for himself before he went to the cross. He prayed it in three parts, first for himself, then for his present disciples, and then he prayed for us. And in his prayer, he asked the Father to make us one in the same way he and the Father are one. So here's the reason for his request. John chapter 17, verse 22, 23. Jesus said, remember he's praying to his father. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me. So that they, that's us, may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. This is incredibly profound and difficult, especially in the time in America that we're living in right now. There's more disunity every place today than any time I've seen in my lifetime. It's really kind of sad. We're to be a unified people. We're to love one another. That means that as we meet together, as we grow together, as we get to know one another, as we scrape off each other's uh, faults and, good and, and put on the good parts, when all of that happens, we must be a people who, if people came to this church for any length of time, and it happens fairly often, I'm thankful for it, they'll say, wow, these people are really are friendly. It's obvious they're, they, they like being here, and they truly love one another. We must. That's more important than anything outside of actually being saved. That's the most important thing. We must strive for unity. Now, remember, as we started this morning, I talked about the command Jesus emphasized about loving God with all of our being with everything that we are. But then he also said there was a second commandment, and here it is again, Mark 12, 31. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, the question would be with the skeptic, well, who's my neighbor? And, and Jesus told a parable about that. Well, our neighbor is anyone we meet, anyone. 
But in the context of this message this morning, certainly we must truly love one another and live together in community, meaning we do all we can to let ourselves be known and know each other. We do all we can to use our gifts. Every one of us has been given gifts. You're here for a purpose. Everybody is here for a purpose. And so we do all we can to use our gifts in the body of Christ, the church, so that the world can be changed by the Spirit of God working in the people of God to fulfill the purposes of God. I read an article early this morning uh, that is sent to me in a news item, and it says that it's not a Christian thing. It just simply says um, the, there's a, a large movement in America today of people changing religions. And then it lists the reasons that people are giving to change religions. Now, remember, this isn't a Christian article, so they're not thinking of one particular religion. They're thinking of all religions, and people are changing religions. And so they had a list of all the reasons that people give to change religions and the percentage. And one of the highest percentages was they change religions because of the, it says, the church they went to. That uh, there was so much turmoil and division that they said, I haven't enough of this. That should never happen. Oh, I know, the devil's doing his work and, and uh, that we're not perfect, but we must be on our guard. It's a scheme of the devil to cause disunity in the church. And the problem is disunity too often is based upon something that ultimately isn't that big a deal if you really think about it. So there are many ways of doing all this, and most of them are straightforward and available and profitable spiritually. So let me give you a short list. So what, what should you do to unify the church, to use your gift in the church, to, to love each other in the church? What are some things that we should do? So I'm going to be very practical, and this is not a definitive list. It's a short list. You might teach Sunday school. Many of you know that's how I started in the church. I finally I went to a church, and I, I started teaching Sunday school. It was a catastrophe. These little kids wouldn't listen to me. I didn't know what they... It was just awful. I tried to quit, but my friend who ran the Sunday school said, you made a promise, so you better keep it, and so you're going to keep doing it. And I learned more in the next few months about the Bible... Than, than, than I learned from the preaching because I had to teach these lessons to these little kids that I taught every grade level. And it changed my life and it gave me all of this information. So that's a possibility. Another one is maybe just hand out bulletins before the service. My wife Valerie does that. She'll be doing it in the second service and, and I used to do that in the church I was in and I met a lot of people that way. And, and it can be a, a really a, an enjoyable time. Or what about this? Come and eat together before the Wednesday service. There's no time to build friendships better than eating together. And we have great meals here on Wednesday. And then so you can have great food and you can help missions. And then you can come and be taught here or in one of the other classes that will be going on. Or here's a radical one. This is pretty radical. Radical. 
attend a prayer meeting. It's sad for me to say this, but it's true. I'm not exaggerating. It's the smallest meeting in pretty well every church, including this one. But there are some really good prayer meetings. Now, there's no prayer meeting this Monday, but that meeting should be, uh, that's only because of the holiday time and all that, but that should be one of the biggest meetings of all in the church. Or uh, there's the men's prayer meeting. Women have more prayer meeting than the men. And it's not because they talk more. So, or talking about that, be active in the men's ministry. Don't just show up, but be active. How do you be active? Well, sit down and talk to someone, find out their story, uh, make friends with them, maybe go out after and have another coffee or something like that. Or be active in the women's ministry. Right now, the women's ministry in this church is just spectacular. And there's so many things going on. And so take maximum advantage of it. Be on the community. Check it all out. And then here's a, here's a good one. Disciple someone. Call up Mark Kirby, and you can find that all on the, uh, on the community, and say, I want to disciple somebody. Or ask to be discipled. And then he'll work on that and find somebody to disciple you. Or here's, here's a really radical one. This is a Jim Burke one that he tells us often. Come early and leave late. Truly. Make your plans. I understand that there are some people that have certain schedules that this is impossible, but there are very few of those type of people. Uh, Plan to get here early. Maybe have breakfast here. That would be a good idea. But come early and then uh, and stay late and maybe go over to the Koinonia coffee shop after and see the great groups that meet over there that just with their kids uh, and get to know Uh, people in that way. But don't just run out unless you really do have a situation where you have a a commitment you have to keep after the church service. And uh, here's another one, become part of a home fellowship. We're uh, ramping up the home fellowships. We've got a couple that that are leading them now. And over the next months ahead, there'll be more home fellowships. And it's I, I want to be able to say, I was asked by the couple that are doing this for us, what's your purpose for home fellowships, for, for meaning for them to lead the home fellowships? They're very experienced. And I said, I want to be able to say during any sermon that you need to be going to a home fellowship, and if you're not going to a home fellowship, just go out there and look on the wall. On the, there's a wall out there and find one and become part of it because it's easy to hide in the larger church service. It's impossible to hide in somebody's living room for long and uh, to, uh, to make friends. And then uh, one that would make Cameron extremely happy, work in the nursery. <laughs> now, there are just some suggestions, but I'm, I'm trying to be incredibly practical here, is that we must get to know each other. And we must, uh, and you know, maybe there's somebody that, is there somebody here that kind of bugs you? Uh, I've never seen anybody like that, but, you know, a great thing would be to say, hey, let's go and have a coffee at the Koinonia coffee shop. What's your story? Tell me, you know, and all of a sudden you'll find out the person that really bugs you is a person that you can really encourage and that can encourage you. So don't just write anybody off. Well, the Message Bible I find fascinating. At times I really like it and at times I don't.
But there are parts of it that are good. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've, we just studied this in our morning services on our way through the teachings of Paul. And in, and in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul takes the human body. You've heard me do this if you were here for the, my little toe sermon. Uh, he uses the body, the physical body, our physical bodies, as an example of what the church body is to be like. And so each part of our physical bodies are necessary and needed. And when one part goes awry, the other parts come to its rescue. And in the church body, it's exactly the same. And so in the Message Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 18, here's how he puts it. As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body, so that's each of you, but also our bodies, right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance, because we're all significant, from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. Like, for instance, this is my hand. And... Uh, it's significant because it helps me to pick up things and it's, I need to eat and be, my hand is very important because it helps me put food in my mouth. I know this, it's almost silly, but it's, it, every part of our body has a purpose. And so he says, an enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. What we have is one body, the church, with many parts, each of us, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Isn't that something? You are needed and necessary. We must get to know one another and let ourselves be known. Now, I'm going to end by just reading where I started. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and uh, listen to this carefully. All the believers, these are all the new believers now, all the believers devoted themselves, I love that word devoted, to the apostles' teaching. Now, here's what's important about that. The apostles' teaching, that's our Bible. You haven't devoted yourself to Pastor Carl's teaching you devoted yourself to the apostles' teaching, and you must check me out to make sure that what I'm teaching is what the apostles taught. So all the believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's the Greek word koinonia, which most of you know. That means that we share with one another. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place at that time. This is the early church, just the very start, and shared everything they had. By the way, that happens here more than you would know. If you're on the community, you'd find out a lot about a lot of it. What did they do? Well, they'd sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple 
each day met in homes, home fellowships, for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals, and I love these two words coming up, with great joy and generosity. Joy and generosity. Joy is my favorite Christian word, joy. We should be a people of joy even in our misery. (laughs) And generosity. And you are, financially speaking, incredibly generous people, but we must be generous with everything because whatever we have ultimately comes from God. All the while, it says, praising God and enjoying the good way of all, goodwill of all the people. Now, that's, they're, they're not talking here. That's not a picture of just having goodwill among all the people in church, but other people. That's what Jesus prayed in his prayer, that the whole community of people that we are, it should be the people that don't want anything to do with us as far as our religion is concerned, are amazed at at what we're like and how we stick together and how we help others uh, and how generous we are. And each day, if all that is the case, we believe that if this uh, vision statement, if we do this, then each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. You may think, well, I led 10 people to Christ last week. The Lord added those people. The Lord used you. Isn't that great? And that's what our vision is all about. So let's uh, pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the church. The local church, every church is local, but the church around the world. I thank you, Father, for our local church. And I thank you for the way that we've been able to influence many local churches around the world. I can think of one ministry that's present here today that has reached literally the ends of the earth with so many people it's hard even to believe. And so, Father, I just ask that you would help us as we grow in unity and in love toward one another, that you would help us to reach more people and that you would help us to live out the gospel in such a way that very many people will be asking us about the hope that is within us. And so, Father, I just thank you for Calvary Chapel of Sarasota and for all the other churches in this community that are faithful today because there are many great churches surrounding us and then all over the world. And then I pray if there is anyone here today that's watching online or you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. This is a new year. We're one day away, less than a full day away uh, from a whole new year of possibilities and of life ahead of us. So don't wait. Don't think that sometime later you'll become a Christian. But admit that you're a sinner, that you're not perfect, that you couldn't possibly be in heaven or keep the Ten Commandments even, and ask Jesus to come into your life. And Father, I'm so thankful that you love the world so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and that he rose from the dead and is in heaven praying for us right now. And I'm praying, Father, that if there's anyone here or online who has never given their life to Jesus, they'll just simply pray, Dear Jesus, please save me. And if that happens and you pray it, it will happen. He will save you. And then... Come among us and we'll disciple you and help you to grow 
and become part of a wonderful, loving, generous, joyful community. In Jesus' name, amen.